Lori Calhoun is an author. She is author of many books. One of my go-to uh, standby books is We Kill Because We Can. And this is a book about how drone warfare and other forms of indiscriminate execution of identified targets by the American, various American regimes and other countries like the, like, like the UK, target people all around the world and just kill them. Why? Well, because we can. It's a good book. You ought to get it. Uh, you can find copies of it. Well, let Lori tell you we can get copies of it. You can get digital copies all, all over the Internet. The latest book is Questioning the COVID Company Line, Critical Thinking in Hysterical Times. And, of course, there wasn't any critical thinking except for small pockets of it, like here on the Mike Church Show, that we never bought this COVID, the Corona Doom, Corona Hoax, whatever we call it today, from uh, day one. Never happened here. Saw the whole thing happening in January went. They're actually going to pull the trigger on this thing. They're actually going to do it. So Lori wrote a book about it, Critical Thinking and Hysterical Times. She's on the Skype Maker Hotline. Uh, somewhere in, Lori, are you in Wales? Is that where you are? I'm in Knowlton Haven, which is the west coast of Wales, on the beach. <laughs> it's very nice. So that's where Fiorella is, the host of our show, The Fiorella File. She's on the west coast of Wales on the beach. Okay. <laughs> Must be the place to go. But now here, here's the big question. It's in Wales and it's summertime. Can you actually see the sun? Occasionally. It's been incredibly rainy this summer. I mean, it's really living up to the reputation of rainy Wales. I don't know what's going on. It must be climate change. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> no, it is climate change. Now, have you read about the, the Honga Tonka, uh, uh, Honga, uh, uh, Hawaii, uh, uh, Hapaya volcano eruption? No, I haven't. Okay, well, let me give you a quick primer because you would love to hear about this. The Honga Tonka erupted in January of 2022. The crown of the volcano was 490 feet below the surface of the Pacific Ocean. It was an explosion that was actually larger than Mount Pinatubo. The scientists now believe it's a, it was about the size of Krakatoa. But because it was underneath the ocean, the lava that came out instantly was vaporized and a plume of water vapor went 210 miles up into the stratosphere and deposited 70 trillion gallons of water vapor where it's trapped. Because it's in the stratosphere, it won't rain down, but it will trap heat beneath it. And even NASA is now coming around going like, okay, Honga Tonka is probably good for one and a half to two degrees centigrade increase in our global temperature measurements since it happened. So there's your climate change. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's just one of these little factoids you're not supposed to know. Like, there never was a purification, isolation, purification, replication. Uh, the four-step process for this thing called SARS-CoV-19. No one knows that either. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about with the, uh, with, with the COVID company line. I'm interested in hearing why you chose to write the book based upon where your bylines were, where you were staying and where you were in that particular day. Okay, well, I didn't, to be honest, set out to write a book. I set out to understand what was going on because it was so puzzling to me. So I started out during the Corona apocalypse in Austria. We talked about this, I think, about a year and a half ago. It's we been did. too long, Mike. We yeah. So, yes. <laughs> um, 
so I started out in Austria. That's where I got the, you know, Corona Doom virus. I was sick there for about six weeks. I, I recovered from it and then I traveled for a while until it became impossible to travel, but as, or travel abroad. And then I, I went back to the United States and I did do a bit of domestic travel where I was able to witness what was going on in all these different places simultaneously. And as this three-year period trudged on, I just, I was continually confronted with the madness of what was going on around me. And since I had been in several, a few different countries, it was especially puzzling because I didn't understand how all these measures were being implemented simultaneously in all these completely different places. Mm. So, I just kept writing essays and uh, marched right through um, all the way up to the end of the declared state of emergency, which was May 11th, 2023. And looking back at my essays, I wrote 26 of them and it was, it added up to a book and it tells a, a kind of narrative that conflicts pretty radically with the official Fauci narrative. And so, I decided to go ahead and publish it because I feel like we need to learn from this episode of history so that we do not allow this to happen again. Mm -hmm. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, great minds think alike, by the way. Uh, so, as I said before you came on, we never bought this. I I was reading the Swiss uh, Swiss research uh, Swiss propaganda research doctor and uh, others. I was listening to uh, Dr. John Ioannidis. I was listening to um, who was a guy from South Carolina uh, that whose life they destroyed. Um, uh, it'll come to me in a moment. In, in any event, we were seeing and we're going like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Talk about put the jump to conclusions, Matt on the floor and then jump to it um, <laughs> uh, the whole thing just and, and then of course I someone sent me the event 201 video in January of 2020 and they're going like these bastards they planned this whole thing the whole thing was was, was a plan so we started something this year very similar to your book we started broadcasting this radio show from each day in 2020 Oh, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because today, you know, you're we're we're we're, we're into the campaign season of the re-election campaign of Trump, and of course, the attempt to install Biden as the regime leader. So we're into August now, and if you listen to the we call it the Crusade COVID Chronicles, if you listen to the shows from uh, each day, you get what the what were those guys? What were the actors saying in 2020? What were the governors saying? What were members of Congress? What was your 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 chosen leader who was your favorite uh, blogger or vlogger or, or host on whatever show or whatever what were they saying uh, I would say Lori that there was probably upwards of 75% total and complete buy-in by any person that you would say has a public footprint or any sort of a, 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 of, a of, of a public following you know, outside of, you know, well, i got 4,000 followers on Facebook. No, I, anyone that has sort of a public media following, I'd say the number was in 2020, and it, and it remained throughout all of 2020, upwards of 75% totally total buy-in. You, you think I my think, number's about right? I think it's higher, to be honest, because, oh, okay. it, because the propaganda was so pervasive and it was so effective at 
wheeling in people who really had no vested interest in this topic, but they were persuaded by the the fear-mongering propaganda to go along with it, and then that amplified the message. So you would find ordinarily rational people, you know, very angry at these so-called anti-vaxxers without even any recognition of the absurdity of claiming something, for example, that someone who already survived COVID needed to get a vaccine. That's just a contradiction. There were so many contradictions, and yet people just ate it up. They parroted these contradictions. So when Joe Biden went out and he announced his OSHA mandate, he said, we're going to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated workers which is manifestly absurd. You know, if it's a vaccine, it's a vaccine, and that's why you take it to protect yourself. So why would you need to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated workers? And yet people parroted this trope all over the world. They kept repeating, this is a, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, even though people who were vaccinated were dropping like flies. In places where there was nearly universal vaccine uptake, people continued to die of the virus, whether or not they had been vaccinated. COVID-19 and collateral damage, killing versus letting die. Very interesting chapter, August 21st, 2020. You're in Wales. Tell me about it. Okay, yeah, I like these early chapters, and I'm glad that I decided to preserve the chronology because it shows how my thought evolved through, through the crisis. And basically, it just shows my confrontation with what was going on around me. And I like the fact that in that essay, for example, and in, in those early essays, I basically stated what was later published in the Barrington Declaration about uh, the the real danger of these draconian lockdowns and mitigation measures that were harming large portions of the population who were not really at any serious risk from the virus. So I was saying this back then in August, that Barrington uh, Declaration, I think, was published in October. It was immediately deplatformed. But it's really great to have a historical record of what went on and how all of this evolved, because people right now, I think, are, they want to get get through, they want to just forget about it, to be honest. They're tired of it. They're all suffering from COVID fatigue, wh- whatever side they were on. They're, they're tired of the whole topic. But it's really, really important that we learn the lessons from this episode of history. No, I completely agree. And there are many people, I say many people, there are some people, you included, uh, that have uh, adopted the line now, and I've seen it a, a half a dozen times in the last year or so. Don't don't forget the people who called you a threat to humanity. Don't forget the people that were running around and uh, unfriended you, uh, disinvited you from Thanksgiving dinner, uh, one that uh, called you uh, this manner of a killer, you're a poisoner, you're out to get grandma, et cetera, et cetera. You know, my wife actually on Twitter got called because we're Catholics and we we wanted to continue going to receive the sacraments, right? And and a woman actually called her, uh, what is she, what was it? told me a Eucharistic piety. Yeah, because of your Eucharistic piety, you're a <laughs> Eucharistic pietistic murderer. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible what went on, and it's so insane. And a lot of these people, I think, have been a little bit humbled by the outcome, you know, by the recognition that they were fooled, but they're trying to just pretend that it never happened. So you don't see people coming forth with apologies. You just see people just pretending like it never happened. It's it's very similar to our government's 
uh, approach to Afghanistan. No one is investigating, you know, what happened and why the Taliban is now in power after saying for 20 years that we are democratizing that country. The U.S. government just pivoted swiftly to Ukraine, and it's like Afghanistan never happened. And the same thing is happening with COVID. The, all of the the bad actors, the people who are really denouncing people, and they were very um, angry, and they were. Uh, you know, they they attempted to discredit people. They uh, fired people from their jobs. They, as you said, called them murderers. Those people, they just sort of stopped talking. They just moved on with their life, and they're pretending like none of this ever happened. And the worst part about it is, they, is, is how many lives were ruined. We, we, we all, well, not we all, we don't. All, but many of, of us now know, and now you can look at the real carnage, the re what really happened, uh, what was really going on. How many children's lives are completely turned upside down? Almost all of them, unless they were being homeschooled to begin with. Right. Lives are completely turned upside down as a result of their parents. Uh, I just have to say this: this was this was this was not ma masculine reaction to rush to the ramparts to defend the family. This was poorly researched, complete and total surrender. Just complete and total surrender to propaganda and to the sirens of, of whatever state you want to call it: deep state, big state, bad state, <laughs> warfare state, whatever state you wish. Medical pharma bio, state. Pharma, pharma state, state. medical bio industrial. <laughs> Uh, bio-industrial state, whatever you wish to call it. You yeah. surrendered to it, buddy. And don't tell me you looked anything. Don't, don't tell me that you that, that you researched it. You know, the thing that I remember most and the thing that actually scared me, Lori, scared me. I was, I was genuinely scared was my governor, and he ultimately did this. John, his name is John Bell Ebers. I have been calling him since COVID. Been calling him Emperor Bell Bonaparte IV. Bell Bonaparte IV, because we're in Louisiana, so we're a French colony. Bell Bonaparte IV insisted on and then wrote an executive order over the legislature's objections. They even passed a law to try and stop him. The court sided with him. Mask mandates in the state of Louisiana. I never wore a mask. Not one day. I had to go to, I, like you, got something in uh, November of 2020. And I had to go to, uh, ultimately, I went to a Medi-Red and I got some uh, antibiotics and what have you to treat it. That's the only time that I ever put one on. And it wasn't because I was just going to be a crusader against his madness. We actually looked it up. Right? I mean, there was, there, there was a, a substantial body of work that existed prior to the corona doom on the, uh, the efficiency and the uh, efficacy of wearing surgical masks. And, the, and every study, every single one of them concluded the same thing. If you were laying on an operating table and people were standing over you and your chest was cut open, let's put a mask on the people cutting you open. Right. <laughs> because the stuff that's in their snoz will leak into your cavity and probably get you infected. Right. Same thing with a dentist. Why does a dentist wear a mask? Well, maybe you don't want to drop droplets of something that you have into someone's wide open mouth. Short of that... Paper masks just don't 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 do it. All you have to do is just a little modicum of research on this. Uh, yet no one did it. No one are, did it. You are right, Mike. There were actually a whole bunch of studies, even at the CDC website. And I remember this horrible altercation I got in. You know, I was constantly attacked whenever I posted one of these essays. I was attacked by people. And one person, you know, was trying to act like I was this ignorant, evil, selfish anti-vaxer. And I asked the person just 
just, you know, very soberly, have you looked at any of the studies of the CDC? Of course, the answer was no. These people didn't read anything. They didn't read any books. They didn't read any papers. But what's worse is that they were told by the so-called experts to stay in their own lane and don't do your own research. It was supposedly dangerous to do your own research. So that was part of the propaganda and people bought into it. So when you talk about all these families um, who really went along with it and allowed their children to essentially be abused, they were following, they believed that they were following, quote unquote, the science. They were doing what St. Fauci told them to do. <laughs> and they they actually had good intentions, but they were just following the rules. They had been pummeled with this propaganda, according to which they were all at risk of death. And so they decided to line up and do whatever the authorities told them to do. So when they said, stay in your own lane, don't do your own research, you're not an epidemiologist, you're not a doctor, you need to listen to the top medical professional of the country and do what he says. That's how you're going to keep your children alive. So this is how it happened. It's not like these people had evil intentions. They actually had good intentions, but they had already been told by authorities that they were not qualified to read articles or to read books or to assess data. And so they just sheepishly went along with whatever they were told to do. Do what the expertocracy tells you to do. Correct. Because science is never wrong. <laughs> but this wasn't science. This truly, no, it, this truly was not science. That's the thing. It was it was not science, and you're right about that. Now, Lori Calhoun is the author of Questioning the COVID Company Line, Critical Thinking in Hysterical Times, new book out by the Libertarian Institute. Uh, you, as the author of We Kill Because We Can, is this the same mental manipulation that makes people accept We Kill Because We Can? It absolutely is. So I think there are very strong parallels between the war on terror, which took place right after 911, and right. the, what I call the Corona apocalypse. So what you have, you have, I call this now the, the time-tested template. And it looks like, this is an aside, but it looks like it's being rolled out for climate right now. But let's stick to the war on terror and COVID and, and do the comparison. So the first step is overwhelming fear of death. When people are instilled with an overwhelming fill, fear of death, then they are they are inclined to accept whatever people who claim to be able to save them tell them to do. So in the case of 911, people were very freaked out by the uh, attacks of September 11th, 2001. Right. They, this had never happened in their lifetime. We had never had an attack on U.S. soil. And so they were really freaked out. They were discombobulated. They were traumatized. And I'm sure you recall that people were walking around in a kind of trance. They just couldn't... They couldn't figure out what was going on. They were afraid to go out. You know, can I go shopping? Is there going to be a terrorist attack? You know, the people who lived in cities especially. So people were very, very frightened. And as a result, they acquiesced to whatever the Bush regime, regime said. So uh, they, when they cobbled together this, you know, this litany of completely false reasons for attacking Saddam Hussein, people went along with it in the United States, much more so than outside the United States, because people in the United States were really kind of freaked out by what happened on 911, and they just they just didn't recover. So it's fear of death. That's the first thing. And when you look at the Corona apocalypse, what happened is people were constantly told 
that we were facing something very similar to the Black Death. They weren't. To- they they didn't use that locution, but what they did is on televisions. Every time you turned on the television, you would see death t- ticker tape. Oh yes. So so people, all these thousands of people were dying, 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 and that's all people did because they were locked in their homes. So they turn on the TV and they see these death ticker tapes, with no mention ever or no attempt to put into context the number of people who die every day anyway. So even before COVID, you know, thousands of people actually were dying every day. But people didn't know this because we didn't pay attention to it. But because it was it was put on the on the forefront on the, you know, screen of their television and uh and it went on for years. It wasn't just like two weeks this went on. It went on and on and on. And all the pundits, you may have noticed that all of the talk about terrorism stopped with COVID. That's so right. suddenly everything was COVID. Everything was about COVID. The new bo- boogeyman du jour was COVID, this coronavirus, and it was going to kill you and your family if you did not stand up and get in line, get in line and do what the authorities told you to do. So then what happens is there are basically three contributing factors. You have usually a small cabal of people who want to carry out some scheme. So you had the neocons in the Bush administration who had been wanting to go to war against Saddam Hussein for decades, uh, since the first Gulf War. And they also wanted to kind of reshape the Middle East. They had all of these lofty plans for a really big military um, mission in the Middle East. So that small group of people managed to persuade a, 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 the next layer of people, which are the mercenaries and the opportunists. So a lot of people stood to, to, stood to profit from the war on terror, um, particularly when Cheney privatized a lot of the military services. So then the military industrial complex became this big, sprawling, octopoid thing. And all these people stood to gain from the war on terror. So those people naturally supported um, the initiative. And then you have the populace who get persuaded by these other two groups that they're doing something good and right. So they get on the the bandwagon because they it, it improves their own self-esteem. They feel like they're being patriots. They feel like they're doing the right thing. They feel like we are they they buy into all these tropes. We are good, they are evil. Right. You're either with us or you're against us. And this very same framework was used for COVID and you have the same sort of three groups of actors. So you have the people I'm not saying it was a pandemic. It may or may not have been a pandemic, but you certainly have people who are ready to seize this opportunity and to milk it for whatever they could, and they did. Mm-hmm. So you have a small group of people, um, particularly you know pharma executives and uh, the World Health Organization people, the WEF, World Economic Forum people. They already have all these plans they've been talking about, right? So then when this virus shows up, it turns out to be the perfect opportunity to implement all these things that they've been wanting to do anyway. And then, of course, there are lots of profiteers. So, as you know, this was, this represented the largest transfer of wealth from the middle class to the upper class in history. And that's because all these people were told you can't you can't open your store, you know, you unless you're Amazon. Yeah, look who benefited. Qui bono. Qui bono. Right, exactly. Qui bono. So, so all of these small businesses were destroyed. Something like 3.5 million of them. I mean, it's really tragic. These are people who, you know, they're small-time entrepreneurs, but they worked really hard. They saved. You know, they're living the American dream, and they were just destroyed by government policy, which prevented them 
from earning a livelihood. And not only did the businesses uh, suffer, but the people who worked for these businesses, and particularly people in the gig economy who had no support system, they were really ruined, ruined. by this this whole thing. Can I can I tell you yes. what I was saying? Uh, under, and you'll hear it on the COVID Chronicles uh, in March yes. and April of 2020. This I kept saying, folks, this is an assault. This is a full frontal assault on the mildly successful middle class businessman. Me. Yep. They are they are coming for you. And who is it that is going to take your place? Amazon, Walmart, name your big box, especially if they're an online retailer. They just swooped in and boom, mommy and poppy were gone. Over 10 Thousand right here in the state of Louisiana, over ten thousand small family-owned and operated probably had their life savings, maybe even traditions of generations working in small businesses and taverns and restaurants in the service industry. Over ten thousand in the, alone in the state of Louisiana destroyed by the Corona doom, Corona apocalypse, destroyed, yes. never coming back. Those people probably, or maybe some of them rebuilt. Most of them, though, were completely and totally eviscerated uh, uh, by this. And by the and, and on whether or not this was whether it was a pandemic or it was a scamdemic or whatever it was, <laughs> we do know this. In 2011, the Rockefeller Institute did have a, a, a they, they they basically game plan three d different scenarios to bring about the Great Reset. One of them was a pandemic. Uh, event 201 did happen. I believe that they had the assets preposition. You know, we can do another show. We can talk about uh, some more other libertarian aspects of this. For example, how in the world did Moderna just happen to have 100 million vials, glass vials, and they were very uh, and, and Pfizer, very specific manufacturing specs. To have 100 million of those jokers laying around ready to fill with the Franken jab, uh, did anyone ever, and now people have, Look into well. How was that possible? Well, <laughs> because they knew it was coming. That's how. So there is a lot there. But I want to go to your chapter in your book on the questioning the COVID company line. Pascal's wager for COVID uh, COVID dystopic times, or how I learned to stop worrying about the Corona apocalypse and eat Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, Krispy Kreme are giving a donut away a day if you go get the jab, weren't they? They were, and this is one of my favorite essays, actually, because I had just, you know, come, I had confronted this incredible wall of insanity, and so I just decided to write satire, because it was so unbelievable that people were trying to, they were trying to persuade people to go serve as subjects in an experimental trial for a new medical device that had never been tested on human beings before and their compensation was supposed to be a donut a donut so it was so insane <laughs> and there were other examples too i mean they also tried lottery tickets there there were some slightly larger cash bribes offered uh bill de blasio went on tv and and started shoving french fries in his mouth and saying mm, french fries you get a vaccine you get free french fries and i was like this is so insane Insane. I mean, I just, I actually couldn't believe this was going on. And my best guess is that people just have no idea that healthy people who volunteer to serve in experimental trials of new medications are paid thousands of dollars to sign their name on a dotted line so that they can never sue the manufacturer later. But what happened in this case is we were asked to do our patriotic duty and roll up our sleeve for no compensation, and then we get a little tip of a free donut or, you know, some, some french fries, <laughs> but for no monetary compensation. And not only that, but the government 
the government signed away our right to su- to sue in the event of adverse effects. So if if you died and your wife wanted to sue, she couldn't do that. If you if you were severely harmed, you know, crip, you know, handicapped for life, you couldn't sue the manufacturer because the government had signed that that right away. And so the whole the whole scenario was so crazy and so preposterous and i just realized that people actually have no knowledge of what pharma has been doing you know since 1987 or 1988 when they first launched prozac they've become very a very very powerful force in our society and uh in one of the later chapters i call this the the pharma revolution i say that the pharma revolution is being is being televised and i and i talk about how there are actually four stages of how pharma came to be so powerful in our society. Now, now you wrote a book about that, didn't you? Uh, no, I wrote an essay about okay, it. Okay, it was an um, essay. You sent me the essay. I remember reading the essay. Okay, uh, yeah. Most people don't put, uh, don't have the touchstone event as the creation of Prozac, a psychotropic uh, 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 drugs. Right. Uh, they, they, they won't put the genesis moment there. Uh, some people will, put, will, will go back and put it on some of the vaccines, uh, right. especially the triple cocktail, the MMR. Uh, right. But it's interesting that uh, the, the introduction of Prozac has no, and by the by, people are more screwed up in the head now in 2023 than they were in 1987. By as a percent of people, there are more people now that claim that they are depressed or have anxiety issues, and now are completely and totally relying. I can't live without my pills. You know, I, I, I tell one of my daughters. My, both of my daughters claim that they have anxiety, and right. I'm like, and again, this is just the Catholic and me coming out. I'm going like. Put the pill down, pick the rosary up, and ask Mary to help you. At, right. at least for a moment, you won't be thinking about drugs. Right. <laughs> this, well, is, this is, but this, they grew up, they went to school and the DARE programs and all that. Don't take those drugs, but these drugs are meant to help you. Right, exactly. And so you're right that vaccines have been very important in this process, for sure. There's no doubt about that. But I feel like there, there were... There was a huge uh, leap in the wealth of these companies as a result of the lifestyle and comfort meds, which were never used before in history. So when those started to be doled out and when they we talked about this before, I think when they started doing direct to consumer advertising on television, then people started watching these ads and saying, oh, I guess I might have this. And they'd go to their doctor and say, oh, I guess I need some gabapentin or whatever, you know, drug was being advertised. And so then the doctors would prescribe it because they want to keep their patients so you know doctors are self-interested too they want to keep their patients so they want to keep their patients happy if their patient thinks that they're suffering from all these symptoms which they learn from the internet or they learn from the television then the doctor is not going to deny that you know and so if if it looks like that's what all of the regulatory apparatus is saying you should do they follow the dsm diagnostic statistic manual of mental disorders and if it says that this is the correct medication for that symptom then they will prescribe it and so as a result of this revolution in the use of lifestyle meds so it's not just prozac it's also viagra and all these other meds that don't really they serve you know they address symptoms that have been 
rebranded as diseases, okay? And so it used to be, you know, you're, you have anxiety, maybe go for a walk and get some fresh air. You know, something like that would be something to do, right? Well, or how antiquated that, is that? <laughs> yeah, pick up your rosary, pray. You know, there are so many other things you can do beyond taking a pill. But uh, what happened during this period of history is that it was a major coup for pharma. Not only did they sell all of these, um, you know, shots, they also increased their number of clients for these uh, psychotropic drugs, drugs because people, as you said, were really distraught. They were disoriented. They also just were, uh, they had been told that they couldn't do all these things that usually give meaning to their life. You know, social interaction was taboo. You weren't supposed to touch anyone. You weren't supposed to hug anyone. You weren't supposed to get near people. You're supposed to stay in your bubble. And so as a result, people became very alienated and also polarized. And then there was a lot of anger when they started pitting the quote unquote vaxxers against the anti-vaxxers and denigrating the latter as the new evil enemy. So it wasn't just the virus was the enemy, but the people who didn't comply became the enemy as well. That's right. Laura Calhoun's the author of Questioning the COVID Company Line, a new book out from the Libertarian Institute. Uh, there's a couple essays near the end, and I, I realize I'm giving a very short shirt to, to a very well done and very lengthy uh, uh, a book that you can read. Uh, Happy New Year! The government did not save your life. This would be a favorite one of mine because yeah. the government did not save your life. Uh, and it used to be that, uh, and of course, uh, 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 the Fitch report that I was just reading before you came on about the debt says in the last 20 years that the uh, the way pe people think about the federal government of the United States has declined. It has declined precipitously. Well, look what, uh, what has happened uh, that goes along with the decline. The growth and the size of the monster. The monster was never, it, the monster can't do what it claims that it can do is really the lesson at the end of the day. You know, I, I was actually thinking about this, and since I have so many people that I know that are on one side or the other of the uh, uh, of the Apollo program and, and the landing on the moon, Stanley Kubrick filmed it in the back lot and what have you here, and all the other conspiracies here, I try to say, guys, at least one thing we can say, especially the I, as a historian, Laurie, went back, read the letters that Kennedy was writing, watched his speeches, I watched what people said about it, and then I watched the, the kind of the development of the Apollo program. And it seems to me that that particular program was the last attempt by our government to actually do something that you could say is altruistic. And I, and I don't mean that it was altruistic in the, in the, in the biblical or, or spiritual sense of the word, but mm -hmm. were they trying to do something to lift all boats uh, or, or, or to, to, uh, to cause a rising tide? Well, I believe that they did. Now, you can second guess all that, but that was the last, that was it. The revolution came in, and then you get Nixon, <laughs> and you get the you get all of this all of the uh, of this uh, cynicism, if you will, begins. We're living now with this cynicism. We're products of this cynicism, and but uh, amazingly, though, up until Corona, the American Sharsons and the people in the UK, by and large, still at some level trusted these creeps, mm -hmm. and they trusted these clowns. Now, I don't know. Do you think there's been enough erosion? You know, the chapter was called The Government Didn't Save Your Life. Is that because people believe it it didn't or you you hope that they come to the realization that it didn't? 
No, I'm trying to disabuse all the people who are basically making the claim, for example, that Pfizer saved their life. And there are a lot of these okay. people, and they continue to say it. So I'm sure you remember when Biden's then press secretary, Jen Psaki, came out and said, oh, I had COVID. She was, of course, multiply vaxxed. She, or I had the, she called it the vaccine. I had the vaccine, and so I came through it. This is complete disinformation. Talk about, you know, someone she's constantly like denouncing disinformation. But for her to claim that her life was saved by Pfizer is completely false. Because why? Because she's a young woman in her early 40s and by all and also healthy. She didn't have any comorbidities. By all statistical data provided by the CDC itself, she was never at any significant risk of being hospitalized or dying from COVID. So it wasn't the shot that saved her, but she went along with this propaganda line and people continue to go along with this and they want to believe that Anthony Fauci guided them through the pandemic and that if they had not done what they did, then in fact, things would have been much worse. So this is a, a state of cultivated ignorance, which continues on. So, for example, when the when the military mandate was finally ended, the uh, new press secretary came out and said, we're we're very disappointed that the Republicans, you know, don't care about the health of the soldiers, which is, of course, the exact opposite. Right. So <laughs> so they continue on. And then when when uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, former board member of Raytheon, I'd like to add, is uh, comes out and says, OK, so we ended the mandate, but we're still going to allow operational managers to make decisions based on VAC status. And we are confident that we saved many lives through this mandate. So they just keep saying these things. Right. And so even though you look at the statistics and you you recognize that, in fact, they didn't save lives, um, they just can continue to say this. So that's why this was a, a bit of a rant. But I just wanted to say, uh, <laughs> no, actually, the government did not save your life. You're just lucky if you're if you got the vax, you're just very lucky that your body was a very inefficient producer of the spike protein. That's why you didn't get a blood clot. You didn't get myocarditis. Wow. And uh, you didn't die of any of the other many adverse side effects. So basically, no. No, the government did not save your life. The government absolutely did not save your life if you lost your shirt because you were forced to close your small business. And in desperation, you turned to the street, started doing drugs, you became homeless, and then you overdosed on a fentanyl lace drug. You, the government did not save your life, for heaven's sake. <laughs> and, and you wonder why Laurie has been a Mike Church show uh, a guest and regular for seven years now. Well, you just heard it. By the way, Lori was my correspondent on the ground the day of the Brexit vote. Remember that? That's right. She I was know. in England. Here I was. And, That's and, and, right. And you heard it here first. Lori going like, Mike, I actually think this thing is going to pass. That's right. Uh, and, and, uh, and of course, it's not going to pass. You need to read the poll. All right. I extended this segment because I wanted to uh, ask one more question, and then okay. you're right. It's been too long. You need to be a regular. You need to you need to come on because we happy love to come back. There's a lot of material here, and oh, we cannot yes. let people forget it. And we also, it would be great for people just to be aware of things that they have no idea about because it was suppressed. You know, the media just drove the regime line, and anything else fell to the wayside. We know about the censorship, so we have to keep talking about these things. Okay, so uh, to, to close, the final question and. It kind of is related to the book, but um, it's kind of uh, based upon something you said earlier. Uh, let's 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 wrap up by talking about uh, this now. 
I was asking a question earlier. Should I hang this talk radio gig thing up? My numbers don't ever grow. People that have a thimble full of the talent that I have have millions and millions of followers. Well, maybe I should just hang it up and go find something else to do. But I, I temper that with this. Has COVID, has it changed the perception, the ability of the American Sherson or the UK Sherson to think critically. It has not moved the needle substantially. And this is what I want to ask you, the final question then. This, this, to me, this is how we know. The same amount, literally the same amount, maybe a, there, there's been a, a wee small decrease. The same amount of people that brought Corona, hook, line, and proverbial sinker, have bought Putin as Satan, Zelensky as God's heaven-sent saint, and the entire Ukraine, we kill because we can, and we are killing, operation as sent from heaven and our moral duty to do it. The same neighbor who was wearing the mask and keeping his kid and sticking the mask on his kid is flying a blue and gold flag on the front of his house today. So... Did he have the critical or she had the critical thinking ability? Folks, just do a little reading. You don't, it's not even hard to do. And you no, will find out. So that's where I leave it. And that's, I put that to you. Okay, so thank you. And that, that's a really good example of the template I was talking about, this time-tested template. Okay, so r- they've been talking about Putin as the evil enemy for years now, since 2016. Well, half the country bought into Russiagate, and they haven't been corrected yet. They still don't know, you know, they still believe that Trump was elected because of Vladimir Putin. So that's half the country. That explains their acquiescence to this. The other people want to believe that they're doing the right and good thing. And I... I like to, or I, I will just propose that the perfect reductio ad absurdum here is the fact that the United States government just agreed to send cluster bombs to Ukraine for use on Ukrainian soil. So I uh, propose to you that this is intrinsically wrong because it, it, pre- it presents a terrorist threat to the people of Ukraine themselves for perpetuity, because that's what these cluster bombs do. They don't all explode. That's right. And so Zelensky says, oh, we're only going to use them in combat areas. But Zelensky does not know where people will be going in 30 years or 20 years. And as we know from Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Iraq, all these places where landmines and cluster bombs have been used, people are killed. They're maimed, if not killed, by these unexploded ordinances all the time. So it's actually, it it belies the fact that this is supposedly some sort of uh, battle for democracy, that he is, Zelensky himself, with the help of Biden, is willing to destroy the lives of future Ukrainians by uh, asking for these horrible, horrible weapons, which have been banned by 120 different nations. We signed it! We signed the treaty! The United States is a party to the treaty. Now, it's a landmine treaty. Uh, Cluster munition. No, they're not. They're not different. All right. We're going to leave it there. Where can people get questioning the COVID company line book? Okay, so you can obviously get it at Amazon. We're going to have the ebook available uh, very soon. I know a lot of people are not buying as many dead tree books, and there's been a sort of delay for some reason on the ebook. But the ebook will be coming soon. It will be available either at the Libertarian Institute or at Amazon and some other online uh, outlets. 
Uh, no, people are buying lots of dead tree books. I, I, is that right? Okay. Oh, we Good. sell lots of dead tree books. Uh, so oh, okay. Oh, that's right. You said you you could stock them and yes. sell them from there. Yeah. If you have some people who are absolutely, that'd be a great idea. Well, I will. And uh, let's uh, make plans. Okay, it's uh, August. Let's let let's uh, first uh, second week in uh, September. I will see you back here then. Wonderful. That sounds great because there's so much more to discuss. Oh, really. Yes, we do. She is Lori Calhoun, author of many books. I love the book, by the way. Get where can we get a copy, uh, uh, a paperback copy of We Kill Because We Can? Oh, okay, um, all over the place. Again, it's published by Bloomsbury Zed, so you can get it directly from that publisher, or you can get it from Amazon or any of the online retailers. And it comes in every format. So it comes in hardcover paperback with a new forward and it also comes in the ebook and the audiobook. So some people are, are more into audiobooks these days. So you can get that in the audio audiobook format if you, if you're, you know, have long drives or whatever. It's a, a great way to get through that. It's um pretty pretty dense. It's about an 11-hour uh, listen, but it it it's a good way to to digest more books, you know, if you have other obligations. We love audiobooks too. All right, she is Laurie Calhoun. Laurie, thank you very much. Uh, we will see you in September. Uh, God bless you. And, uh, stay safe in Wales, and hopefully the sun will come out. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay.